Hello, and welcome to the Wonderland Exhibition Podcast with me, your host, Doug Burton. I'm an artist and educator in the creative arts. Each episode will be a short conversation with a participating artist considering their work, intentions for the show, and anything that emerges in between. The Wonderland Exhibition will take place from the 1st of July to the 5th of August 2023 at the Tremonier Sculpture Gardens in Cornwall. The exhibition shows new sculptures from the southwest about landscape and walking from members of the Royal Society of Sculptors, with assistance from Penzance-based writer Martin Holman. Hi, Kate Parsons. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. So I've been really interested to find out artists' initial thoughts on Tremonier and the gardens and the surrounding area as a way of um, starting off these uh, conversations. And so um, what what were your sort of initial impressions about it? And um, how do you feel it resonated with your current practice? Well, when I went down, um, Neil Armstrong, who owns the gardens, showed us around. He's a specialist botanist and he goes out to central Mexico to find all these plants that he, that he plants in the garden. So in that respect, I really sort of uh, bonded with him in a way because I'd had a lot of experience in Kenya and Africa uh, through research and uh, teaching. Uh, so that initially sparked um, a lot of interest in me and my work, which derives from Africa, really, from Kenya. And most of my work builds on ideas. Um, it's a development of ideas, really. So I don't pop about from one thing to another. It tends to be a, a long, longitudinal sort of development. So I started thinking about that and, and pilgrimage, which is part of the uh, theme of the whole exhibition. And I just thought, well, my pilgrimage is my journey through life in a way. And I've become very interested in rites of passage and anthropology, having lived out in, in Africa for a couple of years while I was teaching. So I was thinking about uh, my sense of adventure. I suppose I'm always curious about things and I love discovering things. I mean, from a small child, I used to go out on my own and into uh, the wild and nature and <laughs> parents didn't worry then. <laughs> I'd sort of go off and explore. Um, and I suppose I've always loved the natural beauty of nature and uh, things like that. So I was very taken with the landscape in Africa. So going down to Cornwall and coming from Bristol, a city, I really enjoyed that um, sense of place. So in terms of it leading into my work, the work that I'm going to show, which will be two bronzes, stems from my ideas of mortality, which you could apply to nature or human beings, really. Um, and I've often done that or shown that through my work in architectural decay and uh, and sort of cultural, cross-cultural boundaries um, between um, African building and uh, West, more Western building, I suppose. So the two pieces that I'm going to show in the um, exhibition. One is called Muramura, which stems from trees <clears throat> in Uganda, funnily enough, because I had an artist residency in Uganda. That stems from death rites, because I'm interested in death rites, and I think that really 
transpired through the death of my father before I went out to Kenya for a, a two-year contract. And somehow the two got sort of melded together. So I was very interested in birth, uh, marriage, death, those sort of uh, rites of passage, how we mark our, our lives, really. So the Muramura, going back to that, is um, a tree which is recognised by the Bakonjo tribe as denoting death or a grave, and they won't go into a field if they see that tree planted because it's sort of sacred ground and also they know it belongs to somebody else. Mm. They wouldn't wouldn't go there. The other uh, research that I did in Kenya um, was for my doctorate degree, um, which was a crossover between art and anthropology or sculpture and anthropology and how you would translate you know your ideas from the research into 3d form so i was looking at the guriyama commemorative grave posts so the second piece of work derives from that and it's um, called above and below and it's about their cosmology the guriyama's uh, cosmology and these Vigango were half buried in the ground and half visible above ground, which has a spiritual connection. So the ancestor is half in the visible world and half in the sort of hidden world, if you like. And a lot of my work stems from contrasts um, that I produce in the work, either in concepts and or processes. Um, so well, traditional Western ideas of sculpture are things like soft and hard, organic and man-made, um, those sort of things. Um, but also concepts of um, concealed and revealed and fake and uh, reality, those sort of things are uh, particularly interesting to me, um, visible and invisible. It's great to get an overview of everything that you were, um, uh, you're proposing for the show and to, to give... Um uh listeners an idea of, of the work i was wondering if we could maybe open up um some of the themes there a bit it's really interesting to hear you talk about initially going to tremonia and that sense of the trees that neil armstrong were bringing from further uh abroad on his travels he was sort of uh making those connections to the rest of the world to through the sort of the preservation of, of species of trees that he was bringing in. And you talking about the, the spiritual element to the trees in Africa that, that had this significance. And is, is that something there that um, uh, sort of resonated with you? Is that something we could sort of go into a bit? Yes. What I found interesting, and I still find interesting, is that some of the plants, like monkey puzzle trees, go back to beyond uh, time from, you know, beyond the dinosaurs and things like that. So these ancient plants are very interesting that actually it's our past and our present um, because uh, luckily he's able to grow them down in Cornwall because a lot of exotic plants do uh, grow in Cornwall because of the weather down there because it's quite mild and they hardly ever get snow down there. So that was very interesting. And one of the tree ferns I really loved with the black bark, um, that was really uh, fantastic. And another fern he talked about that he had to set fire to um, every year to make it grow again. And that was an interesting um, thing he said about that particular um, fern. Yeah, I mean, I've done quite a bit of traveling and also I recognized a lot of 
um, agave, some things like that, that grow in Spain, for instance, but I'm sure they grow in Mexico where he went as well. So in a way, I suppose the planting that he's done there is a visible journey of his life too, in a way. So in anthropological terms, you know, that's his yeah. <laughs> life's work. Absolutely. But I think that there's obviously a connection there with what you're proposing and mentioning this um, rites of passage, this this intrinsic theme for that you've been talking about with the you've been, you know, either personally life engaging with and, and then through your visit um to Africa and to tribes. And I'm um, I'm interested to know a bit more about what you've found about that sort of the cross-cultural that you mentioned and, and that relationship here that um uh, talking about pilgrimage, rites of passage, connections. Um I wonder if we could dig into that a bit more. Is is uh what, what do you understand about that sense of the the that you're acquiring from the, the cross-cultural in that way? Well I think when I first returned from Kenya after living there for two years, I felt as if I'd arrived in a foreign country when I got back. Because I thought I would feel like really at home <laughs> coming back, which I, you know, I've, I've done in the past from short holidays, you know, in Europe and things like that. But it was a very different experience. And so what I liked about Kenya and, um, the way people interacted was that they were cooperative. They worked together. Like, for instance, they would make their own houses and the community would come together and make their own houses and they would use an organic material. And that's, I liked and it ended up being a piece of work, which was a wall in my studio, uh, which is a combination of breeze blocks, which I associate with Western culture and the organic nature of that, the industrial making of that. It's made very impersonally, whereas, you know, everybody would get together probably have a party after they'd made the houses and the little villages and things because I liked going out into the bush as they called it and I was a member of the mountain club so I, I went out into very remote areas but I knew I was safe or as safe as you can be with a group which showed me a very uh, sort of timeless landscape really it was amazing so it was very different from our culture here um, and the beauty there was dramatic. It wasn't um, sort of pretty like it sort of is here in England, particularly. Scotland probably is is more akin to um, the remoteness that I experienced, you know, looking out over loads of mountains up in Scotland. Yeah, it was just so, so different. And family was really important there, whereas it's not so important here. I mean, we get on with family. <laughs> <laughs> and we deal with it, but it's not quite as important as um, it is to their culture. Um, and they can remember back generations and generations of uh, stories and things. And, of course, storytelling is a very important part of living out there and sitting around the campfire and talking about these things and their ancestors and all the rest of it. So it's... And I suppose I really like that. I really like that personal aspect of living there. I was just thinking there where you're talking about storytelling and where we started this conversation, where you were really felt like you were telling me a story of the work that you are producing um, for Tremonia. Could you say something about the process 
of making. Has something happened there, do you feel, through understanding culturally uh, what you've been engaged with in Africa, how that might have influenced your process of making? Mm. And in some ways, mm. I get the I, I get the hint that the impersonal you were talking about in the breeze block, in the sort of the Western, you know, say architectural tradition, but then the, the personal that you're acquiring culturally, has, has that had some sort of uh, influence over your process of making? Yes, definitely. Um, when I was out there, you couldn't get Western materials. They just cost an absolute fortune. And anything imported would have cost a fortune, you know, even clay and plaster. And the plaster out there was pretty rubbish because <laughs> I tried that when I was teaching with the, with the girls. But it was, it was terrible. Um, it was more like grits, really, with a bit of chalk thrown in. So, yeah, I mean, recycling was something that was really, really important there. And you'd actually have to pay money to have a cardboard box or a plastic container. So those sort of things you'd always keep and uh, recycle. So recycling was a very, very important part of uh, life out there. And I found that actually I started recycling uh, my work one into another. So that became like a life cycle, really. So it was circular so that was quite interesting as it worked practically and conceptually. And also, I've never had much money <laughs> being, um, you know, a teacher and, uh, and teaching part time and um, being on my own, basically. I've always used cheap materials and they've mainly been clay and plaster because they're the most versatile, but also they're very organic materials. Um, and I like uh, I've always liked clay. Because initially, when I was at Chelsea School of Art, that's where I trained, I did a lot of um, clay modelling and casting um, from life, actually. So I did a lot of um, figurative work, funnily enough. And and actually, it got me a job making work for Damien Hirst not so long ago. So... So it was, it was very useful, but, and I enjoy it, but I just feel, or I felt after having been in Kenya that art for me had to have more meaning. And I suppose the meaning and the symbolism in the work, um, became very important. And the fact that, um, I had Maasai friends and the uh, symbolism and the way they marked their different rites of passage was visible. It was a visible thing. So that was quite interesting. So I suppose I'm making a visible notion of rites of passage through some of the things that I make. Not always directly, not like allegory, but uh, more like metaphor, I suppose. I'm interested to just also think about what you're saying about fragility of construction and its link to life cycles. But I'm also right in thinking that the work that you're producing um, has a, a bronze element and even using 3D scanning techniques, is, mm. is that correct as well? For, and so they're, mm. you know, quite uh, Opposing what, bronze. Yeah, absolutely. Could you, could you say something about that and, and how you're dealing with that side of things? Well, it's interesting that that a lot of my work has been made out of ephemeral materials. So things like clay, plaster, wax, glass even um, is an organic material. And I suppose, as I said before, I, I'm really interested in contrasts and things like that because of the nature of, of going to Kenya and coming back and feeling that places were very, very different. So I was interested in digital practice 
partly because I'd been exposed to it when I was working at Pangolin. And partly, I suppose it, it would really be a development of the wall that I made out of breeze blocks and thinking industrial you know, as a contrast to the organic. And I was thinking, well, the digital is even more of a contrast with the organic. And um, it would be interesting to combine the two. I'm not quite sure how. I mean, this um, second piece of work that I'm making for the show is like like a pilot study, in a sense, to see how um, an organic shape um, out of organic materials um, translates into a digital format and then see what the contrast is, because there may not be a lot of contrast. It depends on how much you manipulate the 3D um, scans, I think. And then uh, recently, I, I, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I, I connected with somebody on Instagram who was also interested in this contrast between digital and handmade stuff, and they were using CNC technology. It was figurative and I wasn't sure, you know, it was a bit obvious in some ways because it was using Greek sculptures, which everybody knows as an archetype, and then slapping some paint on the top that sort of dripped down, <laughs> which, you know, it was sort of interesting to see that that contrast. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting, you know, not in terms of process and method. So I think it's, you know, sort of watch this space with this one at the moment until this um, transpires and I and it, I have time to think about it because I think thinking in art is a very important thing, not just doing. And sometimes that takes longer than you think. <laughs> Excuse the pun, but it, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as we come to the end of this conversation, I'm thinking about that the contrast is one of the themes that's come out of this um uh, us talking about you know first fragility then possible solidity you know rites of passage cyclical nature and even the sort of the religious symbolism of of um you know the fragility of life and then as we know so much of especially christianity the 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 the, the, the want to try and hold things or preserve them in some way through and and bonds or stone you know these are uh, materials that are capable of connecting with that symbolism so uh mm. yeah i think it, what do you think about how as as a last thought about how your work might transform as it goes to the uh Tremonia and the gallery do you think there'll be some sort of sense of the thinking as you mention it um changing in some way in, in placing it down there Yes, I'm sure there will, and 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 maybe this is this second piece. Although the idea is strong, and I'm with that, the actual process I think is going to be like a transitional work for me, in that things will come out of the work, um, and sometimes that happens with the development of work that you get a a piece that isn't terribly successful in itself, but it it leads on to so many other ideas. So I think that's partly it. And also when I was an art student, you know, you just didn't do bronze, you know, because it was just too old fashioned. <laughs> and and also it was um it was very traditional. I'm thinking more about the impermanence and permanence of it as a concept rather than as a seductive material because I think we've always been taught that, you know, if you make things out of seductive materials, it'd be a winner anyway. And I think the challenge is to make work out of 
well, really anything. So I, I do think the concepts have to be strong in a piece of work. Yeah, I suppose that's in a nutshell, really. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for chatting with me today and going through your ideas. I'm really looking forward to seeing your work down in Tremonier in July. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wonderland Exhibition Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please click subscribe. You can learn more about the artists in this exhibition through social media, their websites and online at the Royal Society of Sculptors.